0: Welcome to Cryptids of the Corn. Each week, Justin and Jay take a look at a topic in the crypto and paranormal world. They focus on the Midwest and Appalachia of the US, but sometimes they venture out with everything from well-known monster sightings to one-off cryptids, live person interviews to actual field work sneaking in some science lessons. They're sure to be something you'll enjoy. Please join us this episode of Cryptids of the Corn.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome back to Crypt of the Corn Podcast. I am the great
2: and powerful Mr. Ree. And I am your guide to life guru, Jay, that has nothing figured out about himself.
1: <laughs> you can hear us wherever corn grows.
2: Oh, when you hear Da-da-da. the rustling of the corn stalks.
1: <laughs> Which is on every continent, including Antarctica. Remember, we looked it up. They grow Antarctica. They grow corn in that base. That's
2: true. That's true maze it's that's amazing amazing get it <laughs> yeah maze yeah corn corn
1: uh, all right before we get into today's a magical topic ooh magical not really it's very scientific it may be boring to some people
2: Yeah. well we may
1: lose about 200 people listening to this show off there's, of this there's
2: there's magic in
1: everything there is eels are magical there's a hint for you
2: <laughs> eels are magical they are
1: uh, you that's true. They can we sh- don't know. All- I don't want to get into it yet. Let me. I'm you, very passionate yeah, you about this don't episode. Know.
2: Yeah, that's good.
1: Uh, so we have Patreon. Uh, it's great. We're getting ready to just update some of the tiers. So if you want in on the special offers or the first round of special offers for the $5 and the $10 tier, get in before January 1st. There's videos on Patreon that are open to the public. You can kind of watch and see that information, what's yeah. the deals with that. But it involves our minifigures and T-shirts we do not sell. You receive a T-shirt. Uh, but yeah, go check out Patreon and look at the videos to kind of get that information of what we're going. But we also do, um, we do movie nights, we do trivia nights, and we're getting ready to start setting up like a custom Patreon Facebook, so there'll be kind of behind the scenes stuff and more interactive stuff. And with the Patreon members, we're highly interactive with. Not saying if you want to talk to us, you have to get Patreon, but it is easier. Because mm. we do do a lot of just one-on-one stuff with those guys. We do do. Do do. Poop. YouTube. <laughs> we're getting better with YouTube-ish.
2: We're you, you mean we're actually recording ourselves? Yes, we're
1: actually recording YouTube. Uh, we have two videos up now that are custom. There's no, They're not anywhere else. You can't listen to them on the main show. Only on YouTube. Only on YouTube. Turtle Turtle. That's so your hint.
2: You, so you can actually see us, you know, talking. Yes. Which is weird. Look at all the art in the room. Oh, yeah. You can see the studio a little bit.
1: Um, Facebook? We do our crypts and coffee nine uh, nine a.m. every Tuesday, mm-hmm. and that's Eastern Standard Time.
2: I'm always on time. Yeah,
1: today uh. we were late, both of us were late due to technical issues. Yeah, but yeah, so come hang out with us there. We're working on getting some evening ones scheduled. That just takes a little more time. Uh, I know everybody. We've heard everybody would like some evening ones. We're, we're gonna, trying. We're going to try to get a, it going.
2: It's a life scheduling issue. Yep.
1: Uh, Instagram. Right now, that's kind of the best way to get a hold of us if you have a story you want to share or anything like that. I'm specifically looking for living UFO encounters. So if you have one, please share it. I've already gotten a couple shared to us. It's going to be really fun. But yeah, uh, anything else I forgot, Jay?
2: Um, cryptosofthecorn.com.
1: Oh, yes, the website, Cryptos of the Corn, po- er, Cryptosofthecorn.com.
2: You can find all of our podcasts everything. and stuff on there. And just, it's fun. I think I got, got everything. Out.
1: I think I have everything linked.
2: Yeah, pretty sure it is. Okay. Just get on there if you would like to check it out. I mean, it's another option for you.
1: So moving on to today's topic, the mysterious eel. Mysterious eel. So this is called Giant Eel Theory, and this was written by a young man in 2019.
2: Who might that be? It was me. Oh. Uh,
1: I'm definitely not the first one to have this theory, uh, but first we're going to talk mainly about just normal eels because there are so many mysteries with, With normal eels mm-hmm. that is, it, I, I really think most people do not realize that we know almost nothing about them.
2: It's like they're aliens.
1: We haven't even found, I'll get to it in a second, reproductive organs in eels yet.
2: Really? Are even dissecting them? Ooh, they just <laughs> You guys split. can't see my face at home, but yeah, eels are weird. I bet you they just split.
1: So we're going to talk about the mysteries of eel sex.
2: Already starting off hot and heavy. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so, freshwater eels spawn in the Sargasso Sea. So, this is kind of the area of the Atlantic Ocean that's like kind of out Bermuda. Look up a map of Sargasso. I know it's an audio media, so it's kind of hard for me to explain it to you. But there's a section of the ocean basically where the currents keep it turning. It's notorious for being very hard to dive, being full of plant matter. We only know eels go there, and baby eels come out of there. Hmm. We don't have any. We've never seen an eel breed. We've barely found any gonads in eels in dissections.
2: So b- eels gonads, have never, never bred in captivity. No,
1: well, true eels haven't. There's a lot of stuff called eels that aren't eels. Hmm. Electric eels are knife fish. They're not eels.
2: They're not eels. They're fish.
1: Yeah. I'm going to talk about here in a second what an eel is. Okay, eels are fish, but it, the, the group of fish that are eels is very select.
2: It's like tortoises and turtles. Yeah, c- yes. Okay.
1: So eel, all eels are fish, but not all fish are eels. Even mm. though they have eel in the name. Mm. Uh. But yeah. So these bottomless the So, Sea. researchers believe they spawn via external fertilization. That means like scatter spawning and stuff like that.
2: Like salmon and whatnot.
1: Kind no. Kinda. Oh. So oh. salmon spawn on beds.
2: I thought they squirt they their do. eggs out and then they spray their. Yeah, but they on they the make kind
1: of rocky areas. Uh, let me read. Okay. The females release millions of eggs into the water where they are fertilized by the male sperm and after they all die. So, yes, kind of similar to salmon. Uh, Androgynous are what salmon are, where they live in saltwater and go into freshwater to breed. Eels are the exact opposite, where they live in freshwater and go to saltwater to breed. Okay. But, so it's more scatter spawning where they're in the water column when they're doing this. They're not doing it on a gravel bed. So there are a lot of similarities with salmon, but there are a lot of differences too. Gotcha. The reproduction of eels has long been a mystery. Scientists were baffled for years about how, where, and when these creatures mate. Researchers have been studying eels since ancient Greece, and still and they're still actually being studied today. We know that freshwater eels are found in rivers across Europe, Japan, other countries. Still nobody has ever seen one mate, and they've never seen a migration to or to the spawning areas. So we know when these eels leave freshwater. We have trackers on them. We just don't know where they go after. Mm-hmm. Researchers couldn't even find reproductive organs or eggs during dissection.
2: Hmm, that's interesting.
1: So, there's a lot of theory that they don't develop sex organs until they get there. Uh, but there's some evidence like oh. so eels travel. So, all these eels, all the eels in Michigan go all the way down to the ocean and go out to the Sargasso Sea to breed, and vice versa. They come from there and go all the way up to Michigan to live.
2: And they come back after? Yeah.
1: No, that's what the babies do. The adults
2: never return. Oh, so they go there and that's the end of mm-hmm. it. Okay. So
1: thousands of miles. Five, six thousand miles sometimes.
2: Yeah. I mean, sometimes you get I don't know, never mind.
1: So the kind of right now the leading theory is that they don't develop their sex organs until they get
2: there. Maybe when they hit the salt water, yeah it triggers that.
1: Yeah. And then they they we uh we have some evidence that they start digesting all their organs. Hmm. So even including their stomach, they start breaking down their stomach and stuff when they hit saltwater.
2: Maybe that turns into. That's their... what I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Is okay. it they're
1: they're basically destroying other organs to make those, what but if... they don't want to gain the extra weight until, until they, they get, get there.
2: there. What if you could trick an eel into doing that?
1: So let me get there. Okay. Good ideas. Human growth hormone is how you do it.
2: Human growth hormone. Yes. Okay.
1: Well, uh, when I worked in the fisheries lab, that's how we got uh, tri- or that's how we got carp to spawn to feed the baby
2: muskie, You would put human growth hormone in them? Yeah. Hmm.
1: Triggers them to spawn instantly. Like within two days, they'll be breeding. That's so weird. Recently, scientists have been w- making much more progress learning about the breeding and migration patterns of eels. We've made a lot of headway thanks to tracking and housing these animals in captivity. Even still, there is still so much more about the reproductive process of the eels that remain a mystery. <coughs> Excuse me. First, let's get into what is an eel? Hmm. Some fish are labeled as eels that are really not eels. For example, electric eels are really not eels at all. However, more eels are true eels. And they're a whole other bag of cats.
2: aren't? I mean, electric eels are knife fish. Oh, you're so smart. Did, did you know that? I did. <laughs> I just learned it.
1: To be considered an eel... Animals have a specific set of characteristics and genetic stuff. So basically, you got to be in the eel family. But eels partially breathe through their skin. Uh, they have, uh, when it comes to scales, eels may have very small scales that are embedded in the skin. But most of the time, they have no scales at all. Yeah. Um. Very slimy. Uh, they actually can excrete extra slime when they feel threatened. The dorsal fin is continuous and combines with the caudal fin and the anal fin. So the hmm. tail fin and stuff like that. It's right, like one yeah. big fin. Fin, yeah. So that's kind of what you're looking at. We you look at a knife fish, they only have the bottom fin. They only have the anal fin that combines with the tail fin. Oh,
2: okay. They don't have a dorsal. So is that so is that what makes an eel an eel as That's
1: that's kind of what stuff you can look at from the outside looking in. Okay. To kind of see if that's an eel or if that's something that's kind of similar. Like we have in this room, we have weather loaches, right? That are yeah. Not eels, but are very eel-like.
2: Yeah, they look kind of like it, but I'm looking at them now, they they don't have the combined fins. Nope. And they have whiskers.
1: Ooh. So let's talk about some common types of eels. The common European or American eel. It's both? Yes. Anguilla, anguilla.
2: Cool. I like that name. So
1: anguilla forms our eels, or the eel body plan. Anguilla is the uh, is the eel family, and anguilla, so that's the, the common eel, the European eel, the, or the common American eel, the common European eel, is both anguilla, anguilla, anguilla. Uh, they get up to 52 inches long, silvery in coloration, and fully mature, the color turns into a green, yellow, or brown. How long do you think these guys can
2: live? Ooh, Um, ballpark, 20 years, 85. Oh gosh, okay. So, do they live that long, and then, and they're 80 when they're they're 80, they go down down the breed? They really like Mm -hmm. that long. So they don't.
1: or, there's more mysteries than that, Jay. If you're getting caught up on that, we know nothing about them.
2: We know nothing.
1: That's that's a good clip for you. We know
2: yeah, nothing. We know nothing. Uh,
1: Juveniles and spawning adult eels are found in marine waters as they travel from or to the Sargasso Sea. The rest of their lives, they are found in freshwater or brackish water bodies like streams and rivers. They are found at depths of up to 328 feet. In freshwater, hmm. so here's kind of the weird thing: is the males don't live as long as the females. Okay, and the females are the ones that travel all the way up to Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania from the from the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, so the males hang around the coastline, and by that I mean they still go into Arkansas and stuff like that, Mississippi. They're not they just in don't go all the way up into the mountains and stuff.
2: Right. Yeah. There Only the females do.
1: Yeah, the fe- there's some females that are in the. I had a buddy at work in the Appalachia. That there was this little stream on the top of the mountain. There was like a four-foot eel in.
2: Now, how can they tell if it's a female eel or a male? How can you tell?
1: Uh, blood work, basically. They still have the same. They have genes that say male, female, even though they don't have organs.
2: Okay. Huh? Well, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. So like, like, uh we do that with birds and stuff like that. When you're breeding parrots, okay. you have to get blood work to tell if it's a male or female. Wow. Because you don't really want to cut open the bird you're planning on breeding.
2: No. Or you don't want to. Yeah. So here's these guys' range. Explore.
1: So all these eels are the same species, and it's very, very. This what I'm about to say is very important for the later on part of this episode. So please bear with me, everybody. I know it's going to be a lot of front end information, but you'll see why it connects to monsters here in a bit.
2: Oh, monsters! Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Uh, the English Channel. So these the the common the Europe, common European and common American eel, the English Channel all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, all the way through North America, Iceland to Morena, Basically, the entire Atlantic Ocean. Every continent that touches the Atlantic Ocean, Africa, Europe, a little bit of Asia, North America, South America, you can find these guys. All have the eels. The same species. And they all breed in this little area in the Sargasso Sea. Which is over by us. So you have this giant global population of of eels that all breed in the same spot. spot. So when we start talking about lake and river monsters later, I'll give you that now. All these characteristics are 100% ID with each other. How could they be the same species if they're landlocked? Or how could they be the same species? Well, these guys do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And these eels end up, these common European and common American eels end up in bodies of water that aren't connected to any other bodies of water. Hmm. And we'll talk about that later.
2: Hmm. Well, I wonder too if uh, the eels that like come from, I don't know, let's say Africa and they come over to Reproduce or spawn if their offspring go back to Africa or if they just kind of wander off wherever they
1: so that's kind of so once again, we don't know. Yeah, I think they kind of mix it up personally.
2: Hmm. Interesting, that's the
1: non favored opinion right now. Yeah, that they think that kind of the same group goes back or the same genetic group goes back. But how
2: would they know? Oh, okay, maybe it's just learned genetics. genetic yeah. knowledge, yeah. like sea turtles Passed and stuff down. like that.
1: Yeah, like no sea turtle knows, like is told where it's born, it just knows that. So, but I kind of believe they—that's how they keep the gene pool so varied—is they shuffle it all up and they all go back different places.
2: Hmm. Interesting.
1: The next uh, really common type is short-finned and long-finned eels. These are also known as the New Zealand eels, oh. Anguilla Australia and Anguilla difficaudarkeius.
2: Oh, that's a tough one.
1: Yeah, and it's pronounced wrong. <laughs> uh, these guys can get up. So the short fin is a lot smaller. You know, about one meter long, three feet. Uh, the long finial eel can get up to seven feet long. Freshwater eel. Uh River Monsters, the New Zealand long finial eel is the one you see ripping guts out of sheep. Oh, okay. Uh, in New Zealand, obviously. And we kinda think so we do not know. Keep in mind, where's New Zealand? What ocean is New Zealand in?
2: Um, it's Pacific and like close to I guess not really Indian Ocean, but it's, kinda yeah, closer
1: it's than the Atlantic. But right now we kinda think they bleed in the Atlantic.
2: Wow, so they're going all the way across. We
1: have no idea, but we think so.
2: That means they'd have to go all the way around South America yes. and up. Okay, that's quite a... Yeah, and then they got to make it through the ocean and not die.
1: hmm And how about Japanese eels? Another anguilla.
2: That's even further. Yeah. And then
1: African long-finned eels. We're not even sure these are a different species than New Zealand long-finned eels.
2: It could be the same species? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just go to different places?
1: yeah
2: oh well, that's quite the travel
1: so we have no idea how these guys breed we have no idea so right now our the basic we've been studying these things for thousands of years because I'll get to why they fascinated early early humans forever on eels yeah okay eels have always captured our imagination yeah and I'll tell you why there's some ancient stories of eels okay that it's like it it's like we were obsessed with them they were the only fish we couldn't understand. Still. Still don't understand. Yeah. We have no idea. So our basic understanding right now is there's two kind of lines of thought. Is that these these uh, Pacific Ocean eels, your Japanese, your long fin, your New Zealand long fins, or your New Zealand short fins, the two basic groups of thinking are that they are breeding in the Sargasso Sea in the Atlantic mm-hmm. with all the other anguilla forms. Yeah. Or there's another spot that's similar to that in the Pacific. That we just
2: haven't found. Yeah. So how do we know they're breeding in the Sargassic? How do we find that out?
1: So we know most of the Atlantic, we know all the Atlantic oh, waveforms go there.
2: But how do we know? Like, do we track Trackers, them? Trackers.
1: Tracking devices, yeah. Okay. We've done, especially in the last, like, 30 years, we know they go there.
2: So the Japanese haven't, like, strapped a GoPro on a okay, seven-foot so long? Okay, so here's the
1: problem with the, the those guys. Is they got to cross a lot of deep water trenches. Mm-hmm. And eels will stay on the
2: bottom. Yeah.
1: So the you ever seen uh like like the the oh gosh, i the Brian pools at the bottom of the ocean, like videos of them. Yeah. Where those looks... are anguiliform eels. Oh, okay. So that's the same that could be the same species that the Japanese eel just cruise on the bottom of the ocean. So any tracker you have would pop like a grape.
2: Yeah. You know? I think you can make those better.
1: So they're if they are traveling, they're probably swimming through that trench.
2: And yeah, okay. I guess technology wouldn't really Survive that trip. Mm-hmm. Do they get as big as like the eels on a uh, Super Mario sixty four when you're diving in the bottom?
1: Not quite that big, but maybe they do. The next thing I'm going to talk about may shed some more light. Ooh! I finally found the thing I've been talking about for like a year now. You found it? Yeah, the article.
2: Okay, read it. Cause I well, I'll to get Refresh there. my memory.
1: So yeah, we don't know anything about them, right? So <laughs> eels are notoriously shy. Are notoriously hard to study. And notor- notoriously very intelligent creatures, they are fiercely intelligent. Okay, people don't like to give fish credit for being smart. Yeah, these guys are smart. Hmm. And they got an, they can have an attitude. New Zealand long finials are famous for being very aggressive. Same with African long finials. I kind of think that personally, I think they're the same species. Right. And that would point that they are breeding in the Atlantic Ocean, and they're just this group is traveling for a long distance for favorable habitat. So let's talk about their life cycle, or what we know of their life cycle. We're still imagining they come from eggs. Uh, that's just our best knowledge is they're scatter spawners. But after their eggs, they will float on the surface until they hatch. And we have, we do have some eggs.
2: Uh, eel eggs? Yes. Okay. Fertilized? Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, we just don't know the middle thing. We don't have any proof of
2: the middle thing. Gotcha. From point A to point B. Yeah.
1: The larvae are very small, uh, shaped like a leaf, and are transparent. At this stage, they are called, now I'm going to try to pronounce this, and I'm going to have you look at it and try to pronounce it.
2: Oh, gosh. Okay.
1: Leptrocephophiles. Oh, gosh. That word in quotes right there.
2: Leptocephaly. Leptocephaly. That would so be my guess. These are leaf eels or glass eels. Glass eels is how I knew them as. Yes.
1: So these are, yeah. All right. So no, these aren't glass eels yet. These are the stage before glass eels. Oh, i sorry. Okay. okay. Uh, Leptocephaly will travel uh, to the freshwater locations where they will spend the majority of their lives. This is an incredible journey for such tiny little creatures. Leptocephaly will drift across the ocean for about a year, but by the time they make it, they will have transformed again into the next stage, which is glass eels. Mm, The stage where eels are traveling back back up to the rivers. Glass eels are called such because they are transparent. However, glass eels are also only about two inches long.
2: Which will get to. Is it just their skin's transparent or is like everything? They have no pigment. Even in their organs and? I, their eyes are about the only thing you can really see. Wow, okay.
1: Uh, Howard glass eels are only two inches long. They look almost like, uh, they do look full, almost fully developed eels. They pretty uh, they they have the same shape. hmm So glass eels will get, they take this opportunity to get up to the lake, up into the rivers and get huge.
2: Gotcha. I wonder if they're like that so they can just sneak by everything on their way to their destination. Or if they just haven't developed color yet. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: So it's it's something. Uh, it probably is a, an adaptive thing to easier, you know, to get to smaller habitats. Because like I said, some of these giant eels will be in these tiny little pockets in the Appalachian Mountains.
2: But eels are also Sorry. very
1: good. We'll talk about it in a minute. Eels are also very good climbers. Ooh.
2: Well, how do they, if they're in like tiny little areas, how are they grow so big?
1: Long time. That's why they live forever. So, so they it's have like Greenland sharks,
2: a constant food source. No, then.
1: it's like Greenland sharks. They maybe eat once or twice a year, and they grow very slow.
2: Okay. Sing me. Oh yeah, you said they can live to eighty-five years.
1: So I'm going to talk about the uh, the one-sixtieth rule. Okay. And there's a lot of argument about this rule currently. Oh,
2: I just remember the article you're talking about. Okay.
1: Uh, we've talked about eels forever. Eels are in, uh, basically eels may be some. At the end of this, I'll tell you. Eels are lake and river monsters, are some of them. Not all lake and river monsters are, are eels. eels, but some of them are. And I have a good example of some here in minute. But I'm going to talk to you about some research into the 160th rule. Okay. So when eels hit the glass eel stage, they are 160th the adult stage. Okay. Or not the not the glass eel, the lepto, how do you say it? Leptocephaly. When they're leptocephaly, they're 160th the size. 160th, okay. Of the adults. Okay. In the 1950s, though, there was what uh, they thought was a cousin of the Conger eel, which is a true eel, Uh, in the 1950s, or actually, sorry, 1877 was the first one collected. The next one was collected in 1950. They collected a leaf eel that was six feet long.
2: So that times one-sixtieth, or whatever, that is one-sixtieth. 300 feet.
1: It's 300-something feet. It's a big eel. So, that would mean this is so. Th- what most people say is that, and I have the names, all these uh, that was a gunther's collection of the Pacific coast of Japan when he got it. Um, and they did do mitochondrial DNA and it came back inconclusive. And then Castle and Raj, which are another famous marine biologist, discovered another one in 1975. And it, it's been inconsistent. I, I could read you this. There's the article. I can anybody that wants it, I can give you the article. It's a big, long, full of words article, but basically they keep they've discovered this giant uh, leaf eel three times. Interesting. Six foot long each time.
2: Is there any chance though it could be like a fully grown adult eel so th- that? Is- that
1: is the leading thought right now. Is it? It pretty much when it transforms into the next stage. Yeah. It's already full size. So it would oh, be the exception okay. to the rule. Okay. That so I'm not explaining this very well. I'm sorry, everybody at home. So the 160th rule says that when you're a leaf eel, you're 160th your adult size. You're
2: fully grown potential size. But
1: most of these things are half a centimeter to a centimeter long.
2: Right. At this size. This one's six feet. Yeah.
1: So the theory is that this could be the baby of giant river and lake monsters. Or it just turns into a six-foot eel.
2: Right. It's already there.
1: But this would be the only anguilla form... That, that this. breaks this rule. Hmm. But there's exceptions to the rule everywhere in nature. Right, true. So this is kind of this flip-flop for me.
2: You don't know which ones yeah. could be true. Interesting. Yeah. And um, there's a whole big
1: article. There's hundreds of, like, literally, what? I mean, look at how many big words are in this article.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So
1: if somebody really wants it to to go through their self, I'm just giving you the, the short and dirty.
2: It's a lot of heavy reading. It's a lot of heavy reading. Um. Yeah, but, like, what if it's just, I don't know fully grown and then it doesn't you know they change they develop their color and all that whatnot what what if it just didn't develop it It just
1: and it could be it could be a really weird exception to the rule who knows yeah or any if it's just, or, any explanation is
2: weird or if it's a certain phenotype that this certain breed of eel doesn't develop you know color or something for its own could be protection who knows
1: you could be 100 percent right any of the explanations are weird
2: because eels we all know nothing. Yeah. We know nothing. We
1: don't know what's more likely of any of these explanations. So you could be right. This could be the adult form we're seeing. It just doesn't get past this stage like oxolotls. They don't turn into their they don't turn into a land salamander anymore. They stay in their juvenile stage. Yeah. They, they're the they're the exception to the rule.
2: Have you ever eaten eel?
1: No, but I want to. But smoked is supposed to be really good. And hmm. Japanese eat it raw, but I don't care for raw fish. Oh, I like sushi. Uh,
2: yeah, I don't know. I dip it in some soy sauce with some wasabi. I like it better than so I, fish most times. I
1: have a collection of cryptids from around the world that all are basically the same animal. Okay, but they're on different continents. Yeah. So I got one. Yeah. Okay. So you ready to get into this? Oh yeah. So sorry if I didn't explain that right at the top. That was a lot of heavy information.
2: But now we're getting to the monster part Monsters.
1: of it. Monsters. Ohio horn serpents. Okay. So these are things we're seeing all up and down the Ohio Mississippi River River, yep, yep. Up to Thirty feet long. They were called horn serpents because they had three bumps in their head. Most descriptions of these things fit modern day conger eels, which are the largest species of anguiliform eel we have today. Uh, and they get uh, there are some records of them being fourteen to fifteen feet long.
2: Oh, that's pretty big. Yeah,
1: they don't go into freshwater though. They're kind of a, they're a weird one. They go to brackish.
2: What What's brackish mean?
1: Mix. Fresh and salt. Okay. Not quite salt, but not fresh. So they're on the coast. If you drank it, you will get sick. But if you threw a fresh or saltwater fish in there, they probably wouldn't do well.
2: Okay. Gotcha.
1: Uh, so they live there.
2: So they're more, but so how is it one in Ohio River, though, if that's what it is? No, I'm
1: saying that they look kind of, that's the one. They look similar? Yes. Okay, gotcha. So the, yeah, the, from the description today, they similarly sound like conger eels. Okay. There have been eels in freshwater, though.
2: Okay, so they can make it. Yeah, they just don't like it.
1: It's not their preferred area.
2: Okay, makes sense.
1: So Ohio horn serpents were up to 30 feet long. In the early 1800s, they were seen pretty much constantly by early traveling cargo ships that oh, were going okay. up and down the Ohio River.
2: And we've seen those before. Yeah. Well, you almost got hit by one.
1: Yeah, I almost got ran over by one because they don't make any noise because it, the motors are still a mile away.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, we almost got ran over by one because the spotter
2: was asleep. Oh no! You, yeah, you almost got hit by a mile-long boat. Mm-hmm. We just snuck been up nothing.
1: on you. You, you, no, you. Nobody would have known where he went or anything. Nope, you been, been right stuck on the bottom of under it, under it. Yep. So these guys were seen pretty regularly by them. Uh, there was a couple of newspaper clippings that basically described them as animals. like they weren't talked about as mythical creatures by uh, by the people in eighteen hundreds. Some people think that they are the uh, what was I going to say? Basically, the inspiration. For the Serpent Mound in Ohio and the other serpent structures built in Ohio. Mm, Interesting. There's these giant horned serpents. Yeah. Um, Because they were seen pretty commonly in the early 1800s. And people always ask, well, why did they disappear if they were seen so regularly? Yeah. Industrialization. Right. Eels are sensitive. Eels are sensitive species. Like salamanders? Yes. uh, They are the first ones to move out. When the environment gets bad, they just stop. They don't come back anymore. They're done.
2: Yeah. So you ever found one... uh, I think all in the river, like a Hawking River system.
1: No. Nope. Uh, we found them in a couple systems uh, in Illinois and stuff like that. Really nice areas in Illinois. Yeah. And really nice areas. I'm trying to think in like, Pennsylvania.
2: Like that Rose, uh, what's it called? Rose. Uh, par- I can't. The big, the place with the Rosewater Tower. Oh, no.
1: Rose City. Roseville.
2: Roseville, yeah. No. Any, any eels there? No. Ah.
1: Just evil people.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. Hopefully, you don't have any listeners from that area. We do.
1: Actually, I've had messages after the Tony episode came out.
2: Ooh. are they positive? No. They were not? No. Oh, okay. Good. We're making friends. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. Oh, they were seen pretty regularly, but they moved out when industrialization hit the Ohio and the Mississippi River. Mm, okay. And that fits eel biology pretty fairly. Makes sense. Reptiles, if it was a reptile, like an actual snake or something, it would have shaken it off a little easier. Yeah. The Ganges bl- giant blue
2: eel. Oh, the Ganges River, which is where is the Ganges? Do you
1: want me to tell you? You're going to guess.
2: Is it in India? Yes.
1: Okay. Reconstructions of the possible appearance of the Indi- or India's giant blue eels. The ancient chronicles of natural history document a fractional uh, or a fraction of considerably n- a number of extremely strange species, mysterious creatures, in extreme, an extreme and Oh gosh, I can't read today. And more implausible from modern day zoology standpoints. So basically, it's hard to kind of tell when, what this is saying. It's hard to tell whether this is a real creature or one of the India's... Like mythological. Yeah, mythological creatures or spirit creatures. They would design creatures to fit certain aspects of nature. Right, yeah. So this is this just a, a creature the size of the river or whatever? But few of these, however, can surely be stranger or more mysterious than the certainly more implausible than giant worm-like eels. They are vivid blue bodies and are um storedly claimed by Indian names. A lot of these philosophers, super famous early scholars, said they claimed to see it. And I, you want to, well, Pliny was one of them, Pliny the Elder. Pliny? Yeah, Pliny the Elder was one of the famous, but yeah, I want to try to read these names.
2: Okay. Um, The giant worm-like eels with vivid blue bodies were soberly claimed—oh, gosh, (laughs) by—why do you do this to me? I know Solanus, uh, Pelostridus, Assylian, Pliny, and Cestesius. Yeah, That's so basically,
1: name. they all said they have seen it. Okay. A Pliny the Elder is kind of a famous one in conspiracy. I don't, I can't believe you don't know that one.
2: No, I know that. I recognize that name. I just don't know his works or writings. I guess.
1: So basically, they said uh, the dark riverbanks ooze with, uh, the Ganges with major eels. So okay. basically, they were very common in the Ganges. Okay. According to Ganges Ulius Solius, a renowned Latin scholar. In uh, complete or completer of flourished, or gosh, dang it! He flourished in the third century A.D. These amazing creatures were thirty feet long, but made- modern stories kind of turned them into three hundred foot long monsters. Okay. But the actual early accounts said they were all three hundred. Yeah, or thirty feet long. Okay, which kind of fits more of our descriptions we'll have. Fits better, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think of those two so far? Um, both thirty foot long, both very very eel like how well, horn serpents would just be black
2: yeah which can be scary i mean if you see it but it could be a monster you know but if it's now how dangerous are eels even let's say are they that if they're that big
1: i am not scared of big eels if you don't mess with them
2: okay okay
1: i'm just like thinking... long fins can be very aggressive but they're kind of the odd man out
2: gotcha okay i'm just wondering like if you see these things what would classify them as just monsters either just their size they'll long... eat you Okay. Don't be in the water. Okay. Makes sense. Isn't the Ganges River, the river where they uh like like do their like they bathe and worship like have you ever seen that where they all like walk into the river and they cleanse themselves or something like that.
1: Yeah, they probably are feeding the eels.
2: <laughs> Maybe oh, what if they were just doing that back in the day?
1: Yeah, and they just got turned into something else. Yeah through yeah. time. Yeah, they're probably feeding the eels.
2: Peasants. Yeah. Interesting.
1: I'm gonna have you read the next one. Okay. This is the monster eel of Hashler Lake.
2: Is it this one? Or? Nope. Okay, okay.
1: You're reading that one too, but... Okay. So this is from Adam Benedict. Our We use his books.
2: Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So August 19, 2018. So recent. Located in the town and borough of Gosport, which is situated on the south coast of Hampshire in southern England, is a body of water known as Hasler Lake. Fed by Portsmouth Harbor, Hassler Lake is actually the deepest part of Hassler Creek, which eventually splits off in the two different directions and ends up forming both Workhouse Lake and Stone Lake. Following along, good. Let's continue. Portsmouth Harbor is fed by the by the Solent, a twenty-mile strait that separates the Isle of Water, the Isle of Waterways, such as the English Channel and the Celtic Sea, that eventually connects back to the Atlantic Ocean. There, the connections are done, but why did we go into such detail on where the water in Hassler Lake comes from? Because if we know where the water comes from, we may be able to figure out where the monster came from. Reported in 1987, the monster of Hassler Lake made itself known quite quickly and fled the area just as fast. Encountered by three young men between the ages of 18 to 20, on August 9th, the the monster reported to have attacked a 19-year-old Ralph Marshall, "'after jumping out of the trio's boat "'in order to enjoy the water. "'While swimming, Ralph felt something thick "'slam into his left foot. "'He then felt an excruciating pain "'and sharp his sharpest teeth bit into the same foot "'and tried to tear pieces of the flesh off. "'Immediately, Ralph began kicking "'whatever was latched to his foot off "'and shouted for his friends, for his friends to help. "'Eventually, the unseen thing let go of Ralph "'and was pulled into the boat "'and taken to the nearby Royal Navy Hospital.' Or Ralph was. Mm-hmm. The young man required numerous stitches in order to close the wounds left behind by the creature. A few days later, a group of teenagers swimming in Haster Lake encountered the same creature that attacked Ralph Marshall. Only this time, nobody got hurt. As the group was swimming, one of the teens felt something pulling on his swim, on his swim fin. Oh, okay, like a flipper he was mm-hmm. wearing. Just as it did with Ralph's foot, the creature began to try to tear pieces of the fin off, and this time it was successful. The beach managed the chunk out managed to take a chunk out of the young man's fin before he could make it back to the shore. As this was happening, another teen by the name of James Walker managed to get a good look of the creature below the surface. He described the thing as being very long and shiny. He compared it to a huge iron bar that could move. After the report to the creature attacking two people in the water of Hassler Lake, made their way around Gosport. Other witnesses came forward to tell what they had seen as well. Nearly all the witnesses described seeing the same thing, and this essentially convinced the remaining skeptics that something truly was in the lake. Witnesses described the creature as resembled a nearly 12-foot-long eel with dark gray skin and prominent teeth that were protruding out of its mouth. It was it was no time long after this description that the monster of Hassler Lake was referred to by its new name, Elvis. I like that. That's a good name for an eel. The name Elvis was chosen because of the creature. If this creature were an eel, it was the biggest of any of the townspeople have ever seen, and would essentially be the king of the lake. Now that you've got, now you've got to give it to the people of Gosport credit, as they were instantly Instantly able to find some humor in the fact that an unknown creature was attacking teenagers in the local body of water. Now convinced that a monster, unquote, was really in the lake, the town hoped to take care of it quickly. The plan was to drain the water back into Portsmouth Harbor and take care of whatever beast they discovered. Everything went according to plan, and the lake was drained. But sadly, the only creature found was a normal-sized two-foot eel. In keeping with their already fantastic sense of humor... The people of Gosport named this non monstrous eel Tiny Tim, which is another singer. That's pretty funny. There's still more. Almost done, though. The next day, the lake was refilled, and things went back to normal in Gosport. Elvis was never seen or encountered again. The general consensus was that the monster eel swam back out the same way it got in and returned to the Atlantic Ocean. This whole experience only lasted a few days, and the mystery of what kind of eel Elvis actually was was never solved, although some believe it was a larger-than-normal conger eel, um, that it never lost its teeth. Who knows? Maybe one day Elvis will show up in the new lake somewhere, and start biting feet again. But if he's busy, we may just have to settle with Tiny Tim. That's a good little story. Um, this made me think of uh, a certain shark, though. Uh, a frilled shark. Oh, yeah. Is that possible? That could live in freshwater? No. Not at all? They don't even go to the surface. Mm, yeah, they're deep sea, ain't yeah, they? Yeah,
1: whenever they get up to the top, they die.
2: Ah, uh, okay. I don't know. It made me think of that. Because aren't they long, slender things with like nasty teeth?
1: Yeah. Eels have
2: really bad teeth. You do not want to get bit by an eel. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: But yeah. Um, no, as far as names of creatures, Yeah. this is probably one of the better ones because most names are not very...
2: No, it's usually like the monster of so-and-so.
1: Or Nessie, or Cressie, or Bessie, or right. Desie, or Tahoe Tessie. Never mind. Yeah. But did <laughs> do you remember when we did our, our Bessie, our South Bay Bessie episode? Yeah. There's a creature attack that was pretty much just like this.
2: Oh, you're right. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, by only twelve foot long, that's within conger eel size.
2: Hmm. Now, would conger eels bite people's feet? Or bite? if it was, yeah, I could see an eel.
1: Eel will. I can see Be an curious. eel biting you. Yeah, because I think he jumped
2: on it. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, he jumped in the boat. Yeah, or out of the out, boat. Out of the boat. I think
1: he hit it, and that's the only reason it bit him. it's like and the oh, other one was right. just kind of checking him out.
2: Yeah. Hmm, interesting. The one that bit the fin, I mean, maybe it just thought it was a fish fin. He could have kicked it in the head. Or that too, yeah, and not even realizing since mm-hmm. because it's his fin, not his foot hitting it. Hmm. I like the name, though, Elvis. I do like it too. Elvis the eel. And it's funny, they named it Tiny Tim, the other one. You know who Tiny Tim is, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, he I sings
1: mean... Tiptoe Through. Oh, that guy, girl. yeah.
2: Yeah. All right. Singing falsetto skills.
1: The next one is from Run to Read the Book Title.
2: Ooh. The Field Guide to Lake Monsters, Sea Serpents, and Other Mystery Denizens of the Deep.
1: My One of my favorite books. Who's the authors?
2: Lauren Coleman and Patrick, uh, I don't know how to say his last name. Just give it your best bet. Hugh? Yeah, I think so. Patrick Hugh. Hugh. Huge. Huge. All right.
1: So this is a really famous account where a ship strikes a giant creature.
2: Ooh, okay.
1: But there's a really – I'll point it out at the end. There's a really detail in here that points to it being a fish and nothing else.
2: Oh, okay. So um, before it, the type, it says the type, it's a classic sea serpent. Um, it's off, the, off Cape Lookout, North Carolina, USA. There's a cool little map in here.
1: Th- this book is really good.
2: It's very detailed. Yeah. Um, it's about um, – let's see here. About halfway up Cape Lookout is about halfway right in the middle of North Carolina, right on the coast. And this is straight east off the Cape Lookout, uh, where this happened. Um, The date is December 30th, 1947. Um, Location, again, off Cape Lookout, North Carolina. And the witnesses were John Axelson, William Humphreys, John Rigney, Captain Forden, and one unnamed crew member. So here we go. At 11.55 a.m., the Santa Clara... A 441-foot-long passenger ship carrying 52 had just crossed the Gulf Stream, 118 miles due east of Cape Lookout, off the coast of North Carolina. John Axelson, the third mate, was prepping for a noon sighting of the sun on the starboard side of the bridge when he spotted something strange in the water. Ahead, about 30 feet of body, just behind the forecastle. I don't know what that means for sure forecastle
1: it's a part of the ship and i don't know which part so okay. just continue
2: look axelson yelled the chief mate william humphreys and navigation officer john rigney who were near the wheelhouse jumped towards the rail in time to see a commotion behind the santa Clara's stern the middle body the middle part of the body came up above the surface recalled humphreys it looked slick and dark brown axelson realized that the ship was act actually collided with this animal. hit the thing. Oh, right. About 60 feet astern. It sort of humped over and started threshing around in the water. Different sets of coils appeared on the surface. The water turned white and red and oily. It reminded me a little of the way water looked when a depth bomb got a submarine during the war. Ooh. That's kind of descriptive.
1: So... I think it. I don't think it means as much as the blood. I think it means more the oil.
2: Oh, okay, gotcha. From the a ship being hit. Yeah, gotcha. Makes sense. I a lot of the, the oil hydraulic fluids
1: up. and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Um, the ship's commander, Captain Forden, came running up from below when the collision occurred, but only managed to catch sight of a distant churning in the water. Following normal procedure, when a ship runs across anything that might be navigation hazard, the Santa Clara sent a radio message to the United States Hydro hydrographic office so this was the message sent late or latitude um 34.34 north long longitude 74.07 west 1700 um gct i don't know what gct stands for oh it's time 1700 so that whatever uh, it's five o'clock i believe mm-hmm. 5 p.m um they struck marine monster either killing or badly wounding it Um, period estimated length 45 feet with eel-like head and body approximately three feet in diameter uh, period last seen thrashing in large area of bloody water and foam the message was relayed to coast guard and immediately picked up by the associated press and the new york times the next day captain fordon issued a formal statement with additional details. So here's his statement. The creature's head appeared to be about two and one-half feet across, two feet thick and five feet long. The cylindrically sind- shaped body was about three feet thick and the neck about one and a half feet in diameter. As the monster came a beam of the bridge, it was observed that the water around the monster uh, over an area of 30 to 40 feet square was stained red. The visible part of the body was about 35 feet long. It was assumed that the body of water was due to the creature's blood and that the stem of the ship had cut the monster in two. There were no fins, hair, or protuberances on the head, neck, or visible parts of the body.
1: Sounds just like an eel.
2: So that was his message. Mm -hmm. So a total of five seamen had seen the same mortality mortally wounded creature, an event they later regretted having reported. Yeah. The crew was widely ridiculed in the press, with some observers implying that they must have been drunk. Others were convinced that the ship had collided with an oarfish. <laughs> Though the... Wait, why laugh at that?
1: An oarfish is like as thick as a piece of paper. Okay. And has no power. So for it to be flat Thras- at the surface... Thrashing around, it's it. not breaking the water,
2: like dramatically. Gotcha. Here we go. Um, Sorry. No, that's fine. I wanted to a know. A small
1: whale would have been a better thing to say.
2: Yeah, I wanted to know why you laughed, but that makes more sense now. Though the largest known specimen, this is oarfish they're talking, um, measured only 21 feet.
1: I think we have some now, so this is written a while ago. Mm-hmm. I think we have some now that are over 30. Yeah. But still, they're like fluttering. They're like a sock. They don't have any mass <laughs> to them.
2: Um, or it says... Uh, only 21 feet, or a large purpose, or a whale. There you go. But the crew was a seasoned one, familiar with creatures of the sea, quite responsible, and definitely not drunkards. The story stands today as one of the most famous sea serpent cases of all time.
1: So, a little a little research. It's one of my favorite stories when I was first getting into research on this stuff. The captain was dismissed. Ooh, okay. Uh, and that's why partially the crew regretted it. Uh, a lot of the the crew that reported it got axed.
2: What do you mean, like from- Dishonorably discharged and stuff like that. Oh, because it was, what was it, a Navy crew or what? I think
1: it was something military. Th- that book doesn't go into it because I think, but- For reasons? Yes. Uh, he got discharged and stuff like that. The captain did.
2: Yeah, the Santa Clara.
1: Yeah, he got dishonorably discharged.
2: Hmm, interesting.
1: Uh, so he, yeah- Deal, what year was that? I don't remember.
2: Um, shoot, I just looked at it too and I closed the book here. It was oops, wrong one. It was the year was 1947,
1: yeah, so not that long ago,
2: no, not that long ago at all. Um, what 60, 70, 80 years, but what else happened in 47? 75? Uh, World War II? Roswell, oh, Roswell, oh, that's right, World War II was over, 45, yeah.
1: But no, so yeah, it really seems, so the oil, it seems like fish oil. It's yeah. Out. Eels are extremely oily creatures. Eels are? Yes. But aren't uh, whales too? It's a different type of oil. It's not just going to pour out of the thing from hitting it. Okay. It, uh, Like ladyfish, like when you cut a ladyfish, like oil pours out of them. What's a ladyfish? It's just a saltwater fish. Okay. It's known for being oily. Okay. Eels are kind of like that. Eels are like slimy through and through.
2: How big are ladyfish, do ladyfish get? Like two foot. Oh, okay, never mind.
1: No, this really seems like an eel they hit. That may have already been struggling, uh, like because it was st- it was staying on the surface, surface and stuff yeah. like that. But they described an eel. Everything about it sounded like an eel. And these guys know whales, right? Yeah, like y- these are people that live on the ocean.
2: Well, no whale twenty four seven is like cylindrically shaped. There are thin whales, but there- not. Oh yeah, yeah. But I that I, long and thin, like tube like.
1: So, so, so minke whales are very not like three foot wide, but are very cylindrical. Okay, Yeah, and they're only like sixty foot at the max. Okay. But yeah, so, but no, definitely three foot wide and 45 foot long. Yeah. That's, that's an eel.
2: Yeah. So what do you think it was? An eel. Just a big eel? Yes. Like maybe the, one of these ones that.
1: That's going back to breed.
2: Yeah. Or. It was coming off the coast. The one of the six foot long glass eel, like. Yeah.
1: So it lived in fresh water, probably one of these lake monsters. Yeah. And now it's going back to breed and got smacked.
2: Yeah, because it is off the east coast of mm-hmm. the United States. It could be heading south. To it's the great. sargasso. Yeah. Interesting. They caught it.
1: Mm-hmm. Ready for the last one? Yeah. And there's thousands of these. That's just, I I kind of, so, so far, and what have we done? We've done an English one. We've done four of them. We've done an Indian one. We've done an Ohio one. And we did an open ocean one. Yes. So how about one in Africa?
2: Okay. The Ink and Amamba. Wait, well, you said Ohio one. I think you meant New Zealand.
1: No, Ohio orange serpent.
2: Oh yeah, that was the first one. We didn't say the in the New Zealand one.
1: When did we do a New Zealand one? Oh no, we just talked about New Zealand. Oh, we we talk just about New talked Zealand about the, those videos. types. Yeah, my bad. The ink any amamba. Okay. It is. It looks like a snake, but that with a horse's head. And what I get from that yeah. is a long head, longer yeah. than a sna- longer than a snake's, and it looks like, like a, an eel,
2: like a seahorse.
1: I know. I think it's like an eel, like an like I a mean stretched the head, out head shape. I know, I think it's like an eel's head is a very long.
2: Oh, okay, gotcha.
1: They have a very long head. Uh, they are seen at Howick Falls in the Umagi River in South Africa. Some zoologists suspect it's a type of eel rather than a snake because it lives in the waterfalls and lakes. Sightings this animal go all the way back to the cave paintings that have been found on local walls of the cave habits in the uh Oh gosh, I'm gonna Try to pronounce this. The Kiwa Zula natural
2: area. That sounded good.
1: Investigators believe the Inca mamba, or Inca Imamba, is a species of freshwater eel like the Anguilla mortora, which is another species of Anguilla form, uh, which grows up to six feet length. Natives in the region, though, insist that it grows over 20 feet. Uh, the creature is rarely seen in the summertime and is thought to be migratory. Mm. They have been seen in the Mosaic River, the Maru Dam, the Dengara area. Uh, Pairs of Ink and Yamamba have been seen that looks like fighting, but maybe in reality a mating ritual. So these things have been seen like kind of pushing heads against each other. Yeah. It's not like, so when they see them fight, it's not like a bloody fight. Right. But most creatures, even in display fights, don't kill each other. Like Komodo dragons, you think about how vicious Komodo dragon is. Oh yeah. They just kind of, they stand, when they are fighting male to male, They'll stand up on their hind legs and push against each other. And mm. then when the loser loses, they just leaves.
2: It's like sumo wrestling. Because it's
1: not worth it to kill each other over.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So I think a lot of these bigger animals kind of understand that. But it's, it's not...
2: A certain dominance, and that's it. Yeah.
1: When you lose, you lose. You're not going to win anyways. So just right, leave. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be bloody. There's rules. And that's what this seems to be, is it's like... there's It's more like head pushing. Okay. And whoever wins is the stronger male anyway. So he'd have won the fight. So why kill each other over it? Right, yeah. So, that's, so this is all across the world. So yeah, so the eels, giant eels have been seen everywhere. And this is a small... I, I obviously do not think this is all lake monsters. No, but... But this is a set of lake monsters, yeah, for just, sure.
2: just giant breeds of eel.
1: And this can explain why we have so many species of lake monster, types of lake monster that look so similar across the whole planet. So they're actually coming back and probably breeding in the same area. So that's the big thing, is breeding populations. Think about that. That's always why they said Nessie can't be real. There's not enough here to have a breeding population. Well, because probably the, two, two of them live there, or any of these lake monsters. And they're not breeding there. They're not breeding there. Yeah. There's one or two that live there, yeah. and they go back to a central area to breed, so you have this global population.
2: And it could always be a different creature that comes back and yes. grows there. So, it, but It's, it's the just same... they're using the area. The yeah.
1: species is using the area. So you ah. have like, Chinese river dragons and all this stuff.
2: So like, oh, no, it's been here for 200 years. It might not be the same one. It's just a different... Uh, i don't know it's it's offspring you know it's growing and it's the the creature now not the same nessie or the same bessie or the same jesse or the same messy you know what i'm saying
1: yeah it's 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 different creatures different members of the same species yeah so this is what i i guess i kind of built this whole up to to show that they exist everywhere but there's only ever one or two in an area yeah but this is how a population like this can exist over the whole planet is they're coming back to the same area to breed.
2: Yeah, that we can't watch them breed.
1: Yes, and let's say they are eels. We don't know anything about the normal ones.
2: Right, exactly, yeah. So the sea monster, or lake monster, quote-unquote, how are we going to know any more about them? We don't know anything about the regular ones that we got like in our hands. And let's say
1: these lakes that aren't connected to anything. Yeah. How are they getting lake monsters? How are they leaving?
2: Yeah, true.
1: Early Europeans were obsessed with raining eels. They 100% believed that eels rained at night when they just never seen a rain cloud, though. So this is what we were talking about earlier of on a different episode, but how we think it's stupid now, but it's because it's the only evidence they had. Basically, they'd go out the one morning after it rained, and there'd be eels in their water buckets. There'd be eels in their horse troughs, their feed troughs. Yeah. There'd be eels all over the farm, and the Norse River's a mile away. Right, yeah. So it had to rain eels. Eels are a really weird animal. Because they have the natural, they have the, the spark of explorers. It's kind of weird to say that for an animal. Yeah. But they kind of get this weird spark in them where they just want to see what's out there. So they smell water. They can smell a different body of water. And they will wait. They will sit there and they'll stage for a rainy night. And they'll get out and they'll crawl across the ground like a snake. Hmm. Or eels have been known to build eel ladders. Where big groups of them will form ladders with their bodies and crawl up and over obstacles. That's weird. Eels will end up everywhere. So now I'll make it 30 foot long. Yeah. You could be in a national forest in these little lakes that have these lake monsters, and there could be a 30 foot eel crawling through the forest.
2: That would be creepy. Because they
1: know there's water. They have amazing sense of smell. Yeah. Amazing. Hmm.
2: Ooh, we could. You could be uncovering something. And has this theory been put out there? Yes, about, uh, it has.
1: It's not mine in any way,
2: shape, or form. Okay. Well, this is the first time I've really heard of. Something but it's like something this. I
1: believe that a lot of these lake monsters that connect, but don't have, and that, that it gets over the big issue of having breeding populations. Right. You have a
2: global breeding population. Right. Yeah. It's not just in that one lake. Mm-hmm. It's not it's just the localized. place. Yeah.
1: And that's how they can go locally extinct in an area, but still be showing up other places. Right. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Ah, oh, makes sense.
1: So I have one more final thing. Okay one more final thing and I don't want to go into it too heavy because I don't want to spoil it either but in a future episode very soon we're going a lot more in depth in this topic so I'm just going to kind of glance over this okay. I end the episode preview before I end the episode <laughs> I'm sneaking in the out the, the shout outs they're whetting their whistle yes so I want to give some shout outs uh, Justin lamb. He's been our clip finder for our new intro for season three. Him and a couple other people have really been putting the work. Mm-hmm. But he also had a really cool idea. We're going to do Monster March Madness. And that's an idea we're going to work on more, but that's your little t- hint. Uh, David, he's on Instagram. Uh, he said some really, really kind words. I don't know. What did you, did you say this is? No,
2: right, I got to look again. It is the Psychedelic Bodega is his handle.
1: Yeah, so thanks, David, for always having kind words for us. And Dale, you want to say Dale's last name? He's our Australian friend.
2: I'm gonna, I might butcher it, Dale, but I'm going to go for it. Dale Grunberger?
1: Grunberger. Thank you, Dale. I, he was very excited to talk to us. Yeah. Uh, he made us feel like rock stars. So
2: Thank you for your kind words, thank Dale. You
1: for, thank you all for your kind words. They've all given us very kind words. Yes. So f- the final thing for this episode. Okay. The eDNA study with Loch Ness.
2: Ooh, okay.
1: And like I said, relatively soon... We have about nine hours to record about Loch Ness. <laughs> but this is something I had to add to this episode. Yes. So they did an eDNA st- survey in 2018 in Loch Ness. Uh, do you know anybody that's ever done anything with eDNA? Uh, I think I know one person. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> so they got five hits for form DNA. Oh, okay. There's only two species present.
2: Oh, so... Five different species, species. DNA. Okay, there
1: only, there's only two documented species, so this is the big thing saying that Loch Ness is probably one of these undetermined, uh, undefined species. Mm. Now I want to be really. This is uh, this is kind of earlier EDNA 2018. I mean, it's not that long ago,
2: but still, yeah, it's rapidly evolving EDNA. So
1: this could be due to new species, Okay, discovered species, are close cousins that maybe look very similar. To the species we know are there, and we just haven't ID'd them yet? Yeah. That happens a lot. Right, right, right. They look enough, and nobody cares.
2: What if it also could be like, you know how you theorize, maybe, you know, they come to the Sargasso Sea, and then different ones go to different places?
1: So it could be a genetic variance thing. Yeah. Their DNA is distinct enough due to the genetic genetic shuffle that they're hitting. That's perfect. That could be happening, too. Hmm. The other thing is it's fragmented DNA. So the DNA was collected was already being was already in the process of breaking down, mm, so, so it's it just, appears different. Yeah, it's just it's just hitting wrong. Right. Yeah. And the other one is collection error. Okay. Uh, that happens a lot. Yeah. Just you know, I it could be all kinds of things. One of the possibilities is though that Loch Ness monster is one of these giant eels we've been talking about for about an hour. I don't think so. We're going to discuss that idea in a different right. episode. But it's a possibility. But that, uh, this eDNA survey did happen, and it did have five hits of different species of anguilliform eel, and there's only two there. Gotcha. But there are other op- explanations for why there's five hits. Right, yeah. It doesn't have to be because there's three undetermined species. Right, it's those That's actually probably the least likely thing.
2: Or it's what the, we just listed just yeah. there
1: corrupted DNA, fragmented DNA, DNA already in the throws, decomposition, and
2: collection error. Mm hmm.
1: And Yeah, collection error
2: happens a lot. Well, let's not get too much in the detail with this. We'll save it it for that future episode.
1: So, Jay, what do you
2: think? About? All of it. All of it. It's interesting stuff. I mean, stuff I don't think it's common knowledge that's just out there, especially like giant eels. It's just not really in the common, I don't know, it's not really talked about too much when it comes to things like this.
1: I hope I didn't... load too much information in the front end of this
2: I don't think I think everything was necessary
1: because it's it's hard to talk about the back end without the first
2: right, for without sure.
1: the explaining of we don't know anything about eels
2: right you gotta lay the foundation before you we build the building you know? we don't know anything about eels but I think that's the biggest thing we can come so away so let alone why
1: can't there be giant eels Right. Exactly. we don't know anything about the normal ones
2: exactly yeah yeah I mean this is good this, this is an informative episode I believe
1: I do think a lot of our river monsters are giant eels
2: yeah well, I mean, it can account for a lot of things. That's probably the biggest takeaway from this. Mm-hmm. So it can account for a lot of things that you just didn't even consider as a possibility before. So that's probably my takeaway from this.
1: Good. I think we did a good job.
2: I, yeah, I think. Well, well, we researched. I mean, it's right down your alley, too. So. I
1: mean, so t- in college, the first time around, I did like a 19-page paper on this. Shoo! I wish I could find it because it had been a lot easier to write the script for this episode.
2: Yeah, yeah. Maybe one day. Well, I think. Return from the vault.
1: Let's wrap up this slimy episode.
2: <laughs> oh, that's an eel noise.
1: I have been the great and powerful mystery.
2: And I've been the new eel guru Jay.
1: And you've been listening to of the Corn podcast. Remember, we have Patreon, Facebook, Instagram, and Jay's gonna work on the Twitter.
2: And yeah, I'm gonna try to get that going. And CryptosTheCorn.com, our website.
1: Yep, YouTube and Telegram.
2: Telegram. Follow us on Telegram.
1: <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Cryptids of the Corn. Be sure to join us in the next episode where we tantalize your intellect and expand the horizons of your mind. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show and we really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, stay magical. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.